0: Good morning. Welcome this morning. My name is Chris. I'm the campus pastor here at Milestone McKinney. Uh, And as Alex said earlier, we know that each and every weekend it's someone's first time. And so I want to take a minute just to, again, welcome all of our first time guests. If I hadn't had an opportunity to meet you, I look forward to meeting you after service. Thank you so much. For joining us this morning. Well, today we're wrapping up a series called "Empowered," and we've been looking at this person named the Holy Spirit and how we can live a life empowered. and And I know that for many of us, depending on our heritage, how we grew up, our background, we have different understandings, uh, thoughts about who the person of the Holy Spirit is and and what that means and and how He works and moves. In our life, I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles, Acts chapter 10. We're going to get there in just a minute. But as we're wrapping up this series and even thinking about this series, uh, I'm reminded of back in January, the word for the year was grow. There was so much that happened in 2020 that you could feel like, man, I don't don't have any say in those things. There's so many things that transpired. I really felt like there were so many things almost, uh, you know, asked of me out of my control. I didn't uh, really have any control over. But there's one thing, regardless of the season of life, the circumstances within our culture or society that we do have control over, and it's our spiritual growth that we can all grow, and my heart for you, our heart for you as a team, as we're praying for you, is that you would grow. And so everything we've done from every series is intentionally helping you take next steps to grow in your spiritual walk. And I think understanding who the person of the Holy Spirit is, how we can live with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is something that, sometimes depending on the heritage or culture you grew up in, may not have always been talked about. And I know in my own life, learning about the person of the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> who he is, how he impacts my life, has been one of the key reasons and ways in which I've grown significantly in my relationship with Jesus and really how I've grown spiritually in my life. Well, we've been looking at this anchor verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says this these are actually the words of Jesus, okay? This is before he goes to ascend to uh, heaven. He has already died on the cross. He is risen again. And it ties into, again, the great commission that He gave us. And this is what He says. He says, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witness. You see, there is power for a purpose that He gives you. There there is a reason. There is a God-given purpose that He empowers you for. So it's not just power for no reason. It's not power just to feel powerful, there is a purpose that God has for you, and I, I'm reminded of this, and, and I think about all that, that has been transpiring with, with our students, because when you think about the person of the Holy Spirit, when you think about who he is, Jesus actually says, when you look at the person of the Holy Spirit, it says that he is a comforter, he, he is a helper, anybody need help? I, I need help. You could use a little bit of help in everyday life, you know, if you got more than one child, even if you got one, you're like, I need help, tap out, I need reinforcements, you know, send in the Calvary, okay? It's like whatever it may be, whatever season. It says that He is an advantage. He's an advantage. He, he helps us. He, the Bible says that He actually, the Holy Spirit helps us understand God's Word and brings to remembrance God's Word. And so when you think about what does it mean to see the power of the Holy Spirit, I always want to try and make it tangible. I I want to give you examples of what that may look like. And, you know, this summer is such an impactful time, and it's so important for us, for the next generation, and for our students Alex said, We got VBS coming up starting on Tuesday, and I'm so excited about it because they're going to come in here. There, there's a team that'll be in here this afternoon and Monday, transform this whole building, and they're going to come in here and learn what it's like to be a champion in Christ. And so I'm excited for them. It's going to be high energy, it's going to be fun, but it's not just going to be fun and, and uh, crass. They're going to experience God's presence. And they're going to understand what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus. And here's why I know that's going to happen. Because what excites me is that we have over 60 volunteers that are helping. And some part of the wiser generation. I've told you before, I'm kind of part of the wiser generation now. I'm kind of getting up there. But I love the fact that some of our youngest volunteers are 10 years old. Ten years old, they're going to be in there impacting. My daughter's going to be in there helping co-lead small groups. And she's like, man, Dad, what do I do? I need to go to the meeting, and I need to know what's going on. Why? Because we're raising up a generation that says you don't have to wait to be great. You can impact your own generation. You can help lead. You can understand what it looks like. Yeah, come on. I don't know about you. You may not have kids. I have kids. I'm like, hey, if there's anything I want them to know, they can have all the stuff. But more than anything, I want them to have Jesus. I want them to know the Holy Spirit because that's what they're going to need when they leave my home. Why? Because they need a helper. They need an advantage. And I think about what God has been doing in middle school and high school camp. This past week at Elevate, there were high school students that shared their testimony about what God had done and how he was working and moving in their life. And what I love is these young people up here sharing. And, And I think about legend that's back here in the back, this young man. If you got kids, actually, in milestone kids, you want know where Legend's at right now? He's back there. He's leading your children in worship, and he's helping them learn. And thank goodness he is. You know, he's doing all the movement. I mean, if I was doing the movements, it'd look like, you know, Karate Kid. Wax on, wax off. Chris Wise, grateful for him. If he's doing the movements, it looks like Taekwondo. You know, he's a little, you know, militant about it, you know. But Legend is back there, you know, and he's leading and he's helping. Why? Why? He's impacting his own generation. God worked and moved in his life. We had students that were called to ministry at camp. But I think about Felix right here in the middle. Big old smile. Felix is here. And, and, and Felix is believing for God to work and move and do a work in his family. Praying for his brothers. His brother Anthony came. Went with him to camp. And while at camp... God worked and moved on Anthony's heart and life, and Anthony gave his life to Jesus at high school camp. But that was because you got this young man in high school praying and believing for his brother going, Man, Alex, pray. Please make sure. I'm just believing God to get Anthony here. I know God can do it. I know God can do it. And Alex is singing, Is God going to do it? Little did, God, little did it Felix know. God worked in Anthony's life. Then someone prayed over Felix and said, God is going to use you to make an impact in your family That person that prayed that didn't know that Anthony had given his life to the Lord the night before. You want to know what that is? That's Acts 1.8. And you shall receive power to be a witness. That's what that is. And you may think, well, man, I'm not in high school anymore. My days are done. No. It's just getting started. Because it's not just for a bunch of young people. It's not just for kids. It's not just for people that have just been great church attenders. Because can I tell you something? Just be real honest and transparent. I know some people that have real good church attendance. Man, they've checked the box, but they ain't got power. They don't have the Holy Spirit working and moving in their life to be a witness, but you can. And you should. In fact, Jesus says, I want to give this to you. I want, to, I want you to walk in this and operate in this way. We looked at week one, we, we discovered the character, and again, I've, I've really, we've been praying through and working, because again, I come from a heritage that w- w- really framed the person of the Holy Spirit in one way, some of you may have come from different heritage and background that framed the Holy Spirit in a different way, but we've been looking right here. There's no better place to go. We've been looking at the words of Jesus, and what He says, that was His words in Acts 1.8. And we looked at the words of Jesus, and week one, we we, we discovered the character of the Holy Spirit. Who is this person? That helper, that advantage, that comforter, right? Then, Then week two, we talked about this empowerment, that there is power for a purpose. Last week, we talked about what does it look like to be led by the Holy Spirit? So you're filled up with the Holy Spirit, but how are you led by the Holy Spirit? Are you cultivating an environment where the Holy Spirit can lead you? That's what He wants to do. He wants to lead us. He'll lead us into all truth. He'll lead, He'll lead you when you walk on your campus and all these young people that were impacted in middle school and high school camp, even these kids that could honestly impact their friends, their teachers, and their parents when they walk on to their elementary schools. He'll lead you when you walk into business. He'll lead you when you walk, on, uh, uh, walk into your, your home and in your interactions with your family. He'll lead you if you let him lead you. And today what I want to do is I want to share with you about something that often we may not talk a lot about, but we all have access to. We all have access to it. And it's about the anointing. The anointing of the Holy Spirit. What does that look like? What does that mean? You know, you think about the word anointing and depending on the the environment you grew up in, you may hear the word, man, that, that person is anointed. Man, that poor that person's got an anointing on their life. What does that mean? You may go, well, I I don't know. I didn't really grow up in an environment well, that sounds foreign to me. Sometimes well, people will use that, like say on the platform, you hear someone, Katie or the team singing. You see people, you know, playing their instruments. You're like, man, those people are anointed. And so you you look at that. What does that mean to be anointed? To be really, it's more than just gifting. There are times where people are gifted, they're on the platform or they're doing certain things and they're really gifted at what they do, but there's a difference in being gifted and being anointed. And it's not just external giftings like that. Having been around people and walked with people for over 20 years now, being in full-time ministry, there's people, I see people, they're anointed in business. They're anointed in their relationships and how they interact and converse with family members or friends or even the wisdom and counsel that they may have by being in God's presence and looking to God's word. It's like they're anointed. There is this anointing on their life. But here's what we've been learning. We've also learned that the person of the Holy Spirit, the anointing that God wants to give us, we can resist. We can push away. We can We can. Turn off the valve, and, and, and we not experience those things. Last week we talked about, and I've said it a couple of times, that the Bible says you can grieve the Holy Spirit. Why? Because He's a person. He's a person. You can grieve Him. You can you can push Him away. Paul even says in 1 uh, in Thessalonians, he's speaking to the church in Thessalonica, and he says, look, do not quench the Spirit. You see, you can quench the Spirit. What does that mean to, to quench the Spirit? It means to extinguish or put out. We all want God to work and move in our life. We want the Holy Spirit to work and move in our life. We want the anointing. We want God's blessing. We want Him moving and working in our life. But we can, we can quench that. We, we can turn that off. You see, this is what it looks like. To have the anointing of God is is saying, man, God is with me. He's blessing me as I put my hand to things that I'm called to do. As I start to tackle X, Y, and Z, whatever it may be, God is with me. He's helping me. He's anointed me to be able to do those things. But you can quench the spirit. You you can resist those things. And we're going to look at this biblical metaphor of anointing. This metaphor of anointing with oil being a way in which, as you look through the Word, it's as if it's a symbolic representation of the Spirit of God touching your life. We've talked about, many times in Scripture, there's different examples that Scripture gives us to help us make sense of the person of the Holy Spirit. See, oftentimes, when you think about the Trinity, you're like, okay, God the Father makes sense to me, okay? Whether I had a good or bad father, I you know, a father, okay? Okay. Jesus the son makes sense to me. I am a son. I have a son. I have a brother who is a son, whatever it may be. Okay. It makes sense to me. The Holy Spirit. I, I how is it? I mean we were in a, a small group uh, and, and these group of men we were talking about the person of the Holy Spirit and one man was sharing. He's saying, that's probably the thing I've had to wrap my brain around the most. Like it's like how like I, I can't tangibly like contextualize that. So the Bible helps us in doing that by giving us a couple of examples through the word to help us make sense of the person of the Holy Spirit. He's referred to as a dove. He's referred to as wind, pneuma, air, right? Pneumatology, the study of the Holy Spirit. He's referred to, we've talked to him in reference as an example, he's referred to as water. He's also referred to as oil. Now, make no mistake, the Holy Spirit is not oil. He's not air, he's not water, and he's not a dove. He is a person. Those are simply examples to help us make sense of who is this person, the Holy Spirit. And when you when you think about it, there's this blessing, this anointing that God wants to put on our life. And as we look at oil, as you look at the power and the, the, the purpose of oil, in fact, there's times in the Bible where it talks about when someone is sick, bring them to the front, let the elders anoint them with oil. What does that mean? What does that look like? What well, you think about oil. And I was thinking about, even as we were studying this, I think about oil. And and I don't know about you, I feel like oil is kind of, I don't know which came first, if it was oil or milk. But I feel like everything, you can make milk out of everything. It's like now you make oil out of everything. You have olive I'm like, babe, I'm going to go get, she's like, get me some oil. I'm like, well, now is it like vegetable oil, canola oil, is it olive oil, is it coconut oil? I'm like, what else? Everything has oil now. I don't know. It's like milk, you know, almond milk. Uh, you know, oat milk, you know, it's like whatever. I mean, it's like, what, what's ha- and, and oil is unique though because oil is different than water. Water evaporates quickly, oil stays. It it, it it has a residue, you can feel it, you can touch it, you can experience it. It has, it really, and even when you think about it, it has healing properties to it. Oil has these healing components to it, but you can always tell when something has oil on it because you can see it. You ever eaten something good, made with oil, and man, you get a little on your shirt, that's the worst. Like right here, you know what I mean? And you wear the shirt, you didn't realize it happened, you get it, you wear it the next time. You're like, oh man, I, my shirt must have got wet, you put water on it. And you're like, Lord, I hope this is water. You put it on there, sure enough, that water evaporates, about five minutes later, what's there? A little oil stain. It's marked. You see, when the oil is on your life, there's a marking people see. When there's an anointing on your life, there's a mark that people see. They can recognize it. And you may say, okay, why are we talking about this, Chris? Why why do we want God's anointing in our life? Well, again, it comes back to we want to know God is with us. He's blessing us in the things that we put our hand to. We want to know that His hand is upon us. And we want to know that we're walking with this blessing, this anointing, this favor in our life. And so we're going to look at Acts chapter 10. I'm going to give you a little context here. There's a man by the name of Cornelius. Cornelius was a centurion, which meant he was a Roman, which also meant that he was a Gentile. So at the time, Peter, the disciple Peter, was speaking to, teaching, leading, discipling the Jews, Jewish people, his own people. Anyone other than Jewish descent was considered a Gentile. And so Peter didn't even think about the fact that, you know what, God is also wanting what Jesus did on the cross. He, he, that's for everyone. There, there is no one special person or one special group of people. Same is true with the anointing. You're going, anointing, is that for like super spiritual people? Is that for people that are here at least a minimum of three Sundays out of a month? Is that for like people that read the whole Bible all the way through? What does that mean? No, 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 no. And this is what's happening. So what happens is God tells this man Cornelius, send for Peter. And then God speaks to Peter, and Peter's kind of like, man, I, I don't get this, God. What, what's going on? And God says this. He says, don't call something unclean that I call clean. What was he saying? He he, he was because at that time that's how people saw each other. He saw they saw each other for well, Jews. We're the chosen. We're clean. You have this. That's unclean. They even referred to that as as even in, in the context of things that they ate. And so it wasn't that God was contradicting himself. What he was doing was revealing himself in a greater way. And so Peter goes to these people. He starts sharing, preaching, talking about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit begins to work and move in people's lives. And watch what happens beginning in verse 34. It says, And Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but He accepts from every nation the one who fears and does what is right. This is what He's saying. He's saying, look, I recognize it's not just one group of people. There's a different way. There's something in store for all of us. What Jesus did is for every single person. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of the peace through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how He went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. Here it is. Because God was with Him. You see, what we realize is this. The definition of God's anointing is God is with us. He's with us. God was with Jesus. God is with us. When you look at the Old Testament, though, and you look at, at anointing in the Old Testament, it always refers to God blessing or, or, or God anoint Like someone would be anointed and you would anoint a person or a thing for a God-given purpose. They were set aside. So you have Jacob who anointed a stone. In the book of Isaiah, it says it's the anointing that breaks the yoke you would anoint prophet, priest, and king for the work of the ministry, but something happens when Jesus comes onto the scene. All of a sudden the anointing is not just found in it because even in, in the tabernacle, which is where the Spirit of God resided, it, it was as if they would it, they would literally anoint the furniture and the elements that were inside this tabernacle. But then Jesus comes onto the scene and it begins to change. Jesus now comes onto the scene, and actually, it's after Jesus is anointed. He goes into the desert 40 days, he's tempted, he comes out, now he's going back, and he's beginning his ministry after 30 years. And he goes into the region of Galilee, he goes into the synagogue, and he begins to preach, and as he's in the synagogue, he quotes Isaiah 61, that says, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, and has anointed me to preach the good news. What is Jesus saying? He's saying at one moment you needed someone to put oil on you to represent an anointing. But now that anointing is coming through me. I bring the anointing. He is the anointed one who then gives us access to the anointing. You see, when you look in the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew, the word Messiah is the word that's used to reference Jesus. When you look in the New Testament, the word Christ is... In the Greek, both those words mean anointed one. Jesus is the anointed one. And he anoints us. Why is this so important? It's because of what Jesus did. When we give our life to Jesus, we now have access through the anointing of the Holy Spirit, to the anointing of the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus did on the cross through the work of Jesus. That's why it's so important. It's not just simply about a certain person coming and oh, let me put anoint I'm going to anoint you. I'm gonna put oil on you and those things are symbolic and repre- and, and represent things, but what it really comes down to is there is an anointing you have access to because of the work of Jesus Christ. There is an anointing through the work of the Holy Spirit, and He anoints us. In fact, Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. It says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ, because He has anointed us, set His seal of ownership on us, and put His Spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So when you look at it, anointing of God, what is that? What does that mean? It's it's God's endorsement. It's God's endorsement. The anointing of God, it's his blessing, his favor, his presence. He is with you. He is for you. What does that mean? That means when someone is anointing, it's, it, God is saying, I'm with you. I'm with you when you walk on your school campus. I'm with you when you walk into your business. I'm with you when you walk into your home. I'm In that situation you're walking through, that challenge you're walking through, I'm with you. You've been through moments like that. You may not even really realize it, but it was God's anointing on your life supernaturally that helped you have peace, that helped you have perspective in a moment because God's with you. That's what the anointing of God looks like. He's with you. He's with you. And when you begin to experience that and you begin to see that, it's so important. Because when we recognize the anointing of God, it's recognizing this. It's understanding there's a difference in just doing stuff and then a difference in God being with you in the stuff that you do. I don't know about you. I don't want to just do a bunch of stuff. I want God to be with me. There's a difference in you operating in your gifting and how God wired you and how he made you and God's anointing being on your gifting. Because He wired you and gifted you for a purpose, with a purpose. But there's a difference in gifting and anointing. So what does God want us to know about the anointing? What does He want us to know? Well, the first is this, it, goes, it really ties in to that gifting component. It's this, the anointing is more than blessing or gifting, it's actually Jesus Himself. Remember, New Testament now, He comes, what happens? He is the anointed one. He is the chosen one, as Paul said in Corinthians. He anoints us. We're sealed with Him. He empowers us, anoints us for something significant. So when you look in the Bible and you start seeing people operating within their gifting, I want to break this down for you just a little bit. When you start seeing people operating in their gifting, that word in the Greek when you see them doing the ministry, when you see them doing the work, that word, that gifting, is the word charis. It, it, it's, it's where we get the word charismata, which means grace gift. Now Now, I know some of you, you're already starting to, Feel that a charismata, what does that sound like? Charisma, charismatic, 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 charismatic. I knew it. This is a charismatic church. I saw it some of that worshiping people that I thought they were asking questions. They're not, they are raising their hands. I'm just waiting. I'm keeping one eye open. What are they doing? They're gonna start running around. This is one of those charismatic churches. I knew it. No, no, wait. wait. Listen, that's the problem and the challenge sometimes in culture. Charismata, grace, gift, that's what that means. It was never meant for this exuberant expression. Although what happens is because of culture, we hear a word like charismatic and we box it into a genre or a certain group of people. And we think, oh, they are charismatic. Or you may really lean towards that and you go, oh, no, 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 I am charismatic, so it's got to look this way. Why doesn't it look this way? When God's word says, no, 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 that's a grace gift I've given you. That means there's a gifting and a wiring in how I created you, special, unique, different, for a purpose, with a purpose, for you to operate, and that manifestation of that grace gift becomes impactful for all those around you. But there's something greater than just the grace gift. It's the word Cairo, which means anoint, to anoint. So when you see people operating in ministry, when you see them doing the work of the ministry, operating in their gifting, what you're seeing is the word kairos. You're not seeing the word Cairo. And so when you recognize that and you see that, you're recognizing and seeing that people have a gifting and you can spiritually be gifted, but that doesn't mean you're anointed. That's why you go, well, well, hold on. Like, So you're telling me someone can operate? That's why you see people. Man, they're just so gifted at these different things. And they can do these particular things so significantly. Well, that's because they're gifted. But that doesn't mean that they are anointed. There's an anointing that comes. And that comes where? Through Jesus. As we were studying this, I want to show this to you. When you look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Testament when you look at the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit in the Bible is very sparse in the Old Testament. It doesn't talk a lot about it, but it talks a lot about it in the New Testament. And likewise, the anointing, when people are anointed, that, that aspect of things, it's very sparse in the New Testament, but it's massive. So much of that in the Old Testament. Why is that? Because what's happening is the, the, when, what's happening is in the Old Testament, there's these examples of this tangible Expression of anointing. In the New Testament, when you reference anointing, it's often tied to Jesus. That's what Paul was referencing. That's what he was talking about. Why? Because it's not about your gifting and how you're wired, it's about Jesus working in and through you. It's about surrendering. You see, what happens is when you can be you can be gifted, but when you surrender that gift, To Jesus, all of a sudden, people see it in a different way. Why? Because it is Jesus that is the hope of glory in you that makes the difference in the impact. That's what Paul said in Colossians. It is Jesus that is the hope of glory. You see, anointing is the key because it's not about uniqueness. It's not about gifting. It's about dependency. Your greatest ability is your availability. To go, Jesus, you work and move in and through me. You work in and through me as I step on that campus. You work in and through me as I step on my job. You work in and through me as I step into my home. There's an anointing that you have access to, and people begin to see something different in you because they're seeing Jesus in you because it's Jesus that is the hope of glory. You don't have to do it. You don't have to make it happen. It's the anointing on your life because you recognize it's not a gift. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And what happens is you begin to do this, it's Christ's character that's developed in you. Now, how does that character come about? Well, here's the second thing God wants us to know about the anointing, is that it's a process. It's a process of pressing. It's a process of pressing. You see, anointing in our life comes from pressing. The pressing out of things in our life makes room for Jesus and his character to be developed in our life. Jesus, when He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, before He goes to die on the cross, that word Gethsemane actually means oil press. When you think about olives and an olive tree and the olives that you have and the pressing that they go through, you see, there's a pressing that has to happen in order for the aroma and in order for the oil to come out. Here's the thing. We may want a lot of oil anointing in our life, but can I tell you something? We don't want a lot of pressing. We don't like to be pressed on. I don't know about you. I'm not like, yeah, more pressing. Thank you. Now, let me just help you, though. There are times where you experience pressing in your life, and they're a byproduct of the consequences of decisions that other people made. So this is not God's like, oh, I'm I'm in heaven, and he's just wanting to exact pain and pressing on you because he's cruel and mean. We live in a fallen world and people make decisions and those decisions have consequences. And sometimes those consequences hurt others. Sometimes the consequences, even of the consequences we choose, they hurt ourselves and they hurt others. So that's not what this is talking about, yet God can still use that. You go, whoa, 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 hold on. So God can use pressing in my life to bring about anointing? Absolutely. Okay, show me that. Where is that in the Bible? Romans 5. Paul's writing. He says, Romans 5, chapter 2, and we boast in the hope of glory... In the hope of the glory of God, again, it's a it, the hope that we have in Jesus, it's a process. We talked about a couple of weeks ago, the process of sanctification. It's a process. Th- this pressing is a process. Verse 3, not only so this, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. Character, hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, it's the Holy Spirit that helps us in this pressing. It's the Holy Spirit that helps us in this process. It's the Holy Spirit that leads us through this pressing into a promise that has power. That that brings about anointing in our life. God's character, Christ's character being formed in us through this process. And through this pressing. I I tell people often, and and I tell them often because I've learned it and had to live it myself. I tell people, don't pray, God, when you're in the middle of a pressing, don't pray, God, get me out of this situation. Pray, God, what do you want me to get out of this situation? Because there's something he's wanting to teach you. There's something that he's pressing out of you that he's getting out of you to make more room to fill you up to overflowing. And I can remember a season that I experienced that. We had just moved back to Texas probably about five years ago. We knew God had called us here. And we're living over in the Keller Hazlitt area. And I remember it had been a long day. And, and I get home, and I'd be honest, I was just probably discouraged about something. I don't even remember exactly what it was discouraged, just disappointed, overwhelmed. I don't know. You know, you think, well, you know, he's a pastor, you know, he must be bulletproof to all that. No, man, I'm telling you, man, it's like, golly, Jesus, I need help, you know. I need the Holy Spirit. I need empowerment. And I'm just feeling this, and and I remember just going, God, what are you up to? I was in a season of pressing, and I am just feeling it. I was probably feeling a little sorry for myself a little bit, just a little overwhelmed. And so I remember I get home, and I get out of the car, and I look up, and it's a beautiful Texas night. Not a not a cloud in the sky, stars everywhere, and I was reminded of the promise of Abraham. God spoke to Abraham one night. He has Abraham out, and he says, "I want you to look at the sky, and I want you to look at the stars." And he said, "Uh, "Your promise, I'm gonna I'm gonna create generations that outnumber all these stars." And and it was just it was a promise. And God reminded me not necessarily that I'm gonna have generations that outnumber the stars. He was reminding me of a promise, and and he spoke this. To my heart. To my spirit. Really what it was the Holy Spirit. We talked about last week. How you led by the spirit. That there is an inner witness. It was an inner witness. And God said this. He said, I see you and I know you. And it's like every time I see the stars. Even now. The other night I was out watering my plants. And I wasn't necessarily in a moment of pressing. Maybe I was. I didn't even realize it. But I looked up and guess what it was? It was a clear sky. And I was just reminded. I'm with you and I'm for you. You see, it's in moments of pressing that what you want to do is maybe you're like me. You're going, well, when I'm being pressed on, I'm going to press back. I'm just going to press a little harder. But instead of looking around you and looking for someone to fix and solve, why don't you look up? Look up to the maker of heaven and earth. Look up to the stars. Look up and see God saying, I'm with you and I'm for you. And in the middle of this pressing, I'm bringing out an anointing in your life that is not just for you, but it's for everyone else around you. Because then that leads to the third thing. It's experiential. God wants us to recognize that the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit is experiential in our life. It's tangible, we can experience it. And it's not just something that we see right now for now. It's something that we can experience moving forward. It's something we can experience in today and it's something that leads us in to the future. And what begins to happen is other people begin to see it. Back to the church in Thessalonica, Paul's writing 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. I love this. It says, because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. It wasn't just words. There's power. There's deep conviction that's coming. Verse 8, it then says this. The Lord's message rang out from not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. What's he saying? He's saying when the anointing of God is on your life, it it impacts more than you could even really realize. That that, that anointing that you need, you see, so many of us, you're, you're gifted, you're driven, you've accomplished a lot of good things and a lot of stuff. But what would happen if you weren't just driven and gifted, but what would happen if you were anointed? And I love this because so many of you, you live with this. People see it. It's like that, you know, I'm not saying you're like a stain on someone's shirt, but you're kind of like a stain on someone's shirt. People see it. They notice it. They're marked by it. I love it because you're that milestone church. That's why there's going to be over 60 people serving other people's children during VBS because there's an anointing on your life. It's why we're going to have a group of young people that are going to be up here that outside of the worship uh, uh, director and leader that will be up here with them, it will be all student-led of a bunch of middle schoolers and some high schoolers leading in worship their own generation. It's why there were so many women that were there at the women's night serving and making a way for others to experience Jesus. All the volunteers and the adults that took time off to go and be a leader or a counselor or a small group leader at middle school and high school camp. It's why I think of something, there's a small group that heard about a single mom's need and later this week they're going to go and they're going to help her and be a blessing. Why? Because there's an anointing on their life and it's experiential and it impacts those people around you. You see, what if you weren't just driven? What if you are anointed? What if you weren't just gifted, but you're anointed? What if you're anointed in your marriage? Anointed with your kids? Anointed in the conversations that you have? Anointed at work? Anointed when you go to your school campus? Anointed when you try and converse with mom and dad when you feel like they just don't understand me? What if you're anointed? You see, that's my prayer for you is that you're not just good and gifted. This whole series has been about you understanding this person of the Holy Spirit and how he can empower you and you can live life anointed.